0: Speaking with Chloe Alexander was such a joy. She brings such positivity while keeping things very real and honest. She shared great advice for continuing to create art and push yourself forward. I also loved hearing about her work, both the physical processes with layers of drawing, print and collage, and the content with layers of meaning. I've probably mentioned here before that my background is in printmaking, so I just love talking with other printmakers. Chloe Alexander is a printmaker from Atlanta, Georgia. Her most recent work focuses on creating visual narratives by layering various printmaking techniques to create one-of-a-kind mixed media drawings. Chloe obtained her BFA in printmaking in 2010 and M.Ed in 2014, both from Georgia State University. In addition to her personal art practice, she works as a high school drawing and fashion illustration and design instructor. Chloe has exhibited work across Atlanta, the Southeast, and internationally, including Georgia State University, the Prism Art Fair during Miami Art Week, Print Austin, and Etch Ink Gallery at the Athens Printmaking Center in Athens, Greece. Most recently, Chloe was awarded a 2020-2022 residency with the Creative Project in Atlanta, Georgia. Chloe's drive and persistence really struck me. She kept at it, adjusted and reapplied when she got rejected, and sought out resources and made career shifts to support her art practice. That bit of encouragement she shared towards the end was also wonderful. Artists and art educators out there, keep making if it helps keep you sane and helps you process emotions. Take a break if that helps. We're nearing the end of the school year here. I teach until mid-June, and I know next fall is very uncertain, but hang in there. Chloe's work is also so beautiful and full of meaning. The idea of engaging in the same thing while being disengaged with each other, ah, uh, so apt. The imagery of the carrier pigeon sending a message out into the world really struck me as we all send our messages through the air right now. Go look at her work. And speaking of messages, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at teachingartistpodcast.gmail.com, tag me or DM me on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast, or send a voice message to that same email that I can share on the podcast. So, hello, Chloe Alexandra. I am so excited to talk with you. Welcome. Thank you. This is really exciting and really scary at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, and we are recording during the day with kids at home in both of our homes, so we may have some interruptions. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, my kids have free reign of the PlayStation right now, and they've been threatened that they will lose (laughs) it if they interrupt me, so they're older so they should be okay hopefully
0: yeah that's that sounds like a good incentive yeah so I like to start just by hearing a little bit about your background and specifically how you became an artist and then also how you became a teacher.
1: Yeah, how I became an artist, I was probably born one. I know. Yeah. I was the youngest of five kids and we lived in a semi-rural area and my parents were also pretty religious. So outside of church activities, we didn't get out a lot and so art was just something that always did. My parents, you mm-hmm. know, would buy me the paint by number kit and the cross stitch kit. And I had a pottery wheel when I was like 10 and I had a rock tumbler and all those things. And I would make collages and paper dolls So it was kind of a diversion for me. And plus, Mm -hmm. like after a while, my siblings were entering like their later teenage years and adulthood. So it was a great way to entertain myself when they were doing more exciting things and Mm -hmm. leaving me behind. (laughs) So probably I've always been an artist. I know it was never my intention to go to art school until I would say... My sophomore year in high school, all of the people that I knew really well had gone to a magnet school that specialized in performing arts and visual arts. Mm -hmm. And I got really down about it because, you know, when you enter high school, you don't necessarily get to pick your classes. And so I convinced my mom to write this really long letter to the magnet coordinator to get me in <laughs> mid-year. And my art teacher sat me down and he said, you know, you can you have talent and you can do all these classes here. He said, I promise, like, I'll work if you don't get the classes you want. I'll help you get into those classes. But don't feel like you have to go to schools. And so that kind of shifted my perspective. And, you know, he introduced me to. The public schools that were in the area, I'm from Atlanta. And so mm-hmm. also something that my parents preached about a lot was if you go to college, we're not going to pay for it. And so a lot of things that would have seemed out of reach, like going to Ringling College of Art and Design or Savannah College of Art, he made more accessible because he said, well, you can go to UGA, you can go to Georgia State and get just as good of an education. So that's kind of put me on a trajectory of going to art school. And the teaching just kind of happened, just a very roundabout story of how I landed into teaching. I guess long story short is I needed to pay my bills. Right. And I worked in, <laughs> I worked in food service for a really long time. I was a bartender for about ten years. Wow. Yeah, my temperament just changed completely. It was one too many Christmases that I was working, or one too many drunk mm-hmm. people, Ugh. and I was, just said, you know, I'm tired of this. And so I gradually started picking up like substitute teaching jobs and after school jobs. And I said, oh, this doesn't. So <laughs> um, I kind of like this because yeah. I never, in a million years, would have thought I would have been a teacher. And so I was working a job. I took over a teacher's position who went to who went on maternity leave and decided eh, I don't want to come mm-hmm. back. I want to stay home with my baby. And I took over her position. But I couldn't keep it because I was certified to teach. And that just kind of convinced me Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing and I'm going to teach. And that's how. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So then did you go get certified? Yeah. So I had a BFA
1: and Mm -hmm. um, I know for me, initially teaching art or not teaching art, but getting a degree in art education Mm -hmm. wasn't something I was super interested in because I didn't really like how the curriculum was set up where you couldn't really focus your attention on. What you loved for me that was printmaking. So if I would have gone mm-hmm. the route. I would have been able to take a lot of the courses that I wanted to take and learn the techniques that I wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. And I also hated school. And so when it came to me going back to teach, it's like, okay, I need to get in and out as in as little time as possible. Right. So there was this, I went to Georgia State to get my Master of Education, and they had a program that was focused on getting people to teach in urban settings, which is where I was Mm -hmm. from, so that wasn't a big deal to me. Thank <laughs> you. And if you went for a year, you got your certification. And if you completed the master's program the second year, you got your master's. And so I did that as a course of least resistance for me and to get in and out as quickly as possible and maintain that right. goal of getting certified and being able to teach. So
0: yeah, nice. And you're enjoying teaching so far? Yeah, I've been teaching now for, this is my eighth year.
1: Well, 7.5 since it got abruptly cut short.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> so... Uh. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to hear more in a little bit about how you're doing it now. <laughs> yeah, so
1: I actually started as a math teacher. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got a Master's of Ed in... K through five, and then I went back and got certified in middle school math and science. Wow! And so random. <laughs> but yeah, there aren't a ton of art jobs available. Um, I yep. <laughs> Remember when I went to take my certification test for art? It's like you know, it just makes sense having a BFA, getting certified to teach art.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> the minute the proctor of the test, he said, "Well, good luck with that." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, oh. art." jobs only become available when someone gets married or they die. And I'm like, what? (laughs) But it's Uh, kind of true. They aren't mm -hmm. really available. And so, yeah, I ended up teaching math and it was great at first, but just the stress of testing Mm -hmm. and getting kids in your classroom who have these deficiencies and pushing them to a place where they've made so much growth, but it doesn't matter at all because they can't pass this test. It's arbitrarily assigned by people who usually have nothing to do with education at all. Mm -hmm. It's kind of draining and the pressure that's put upon the adults is not healthy. And so after doing that for five years, I just developed a really toxic relationship with my career and it was detrimental Mm -hmm. to my health. And I said, you know, I'm gonna to have to do something else, or I'm not going to teach anymore. And so that, and mm-hmm. I jumped to teaching art, which I never again. Really I never thought it would happen. I had the certification to do it, but I think it was the best decision I've made in my adult life. <laughs> as yeah. far as a career choice, is making that yeah. switch for sure. So yeah, it's been a nice. That's amazing.
0: And how did you end up getting that position?
1: So I was actually going to quit my math job mid-year. And that's the kind Mm -hmm. of thing that I never would have imagined doing. But I was just so, so unhappy that I actually got a job teaching middle school art in January. And I talked to my supervisor about it and he said, you know, I get that this is what you want to do, but I really think you should finish up the year. He said, and this is not advice (laughs) that you would usually get and be like, wow, that's really good advice. He said that I was caring too much and not that I was caring too much about the kids in my classroom, I was carrying too much of the weight of what was happening in the building at that time. And it wasn't just the kids, it was adults. It was just a really Mm -hmm. unhealthy situation. He said, I was carrying too much of that back home with me and internalizing it Mm -hmm. too much. And he said, you need to let it go. If you let it go, I'm convinced that you can finish out the year. And it was bizarre that it really did change my outlook. Mm -hmm. And so I finished out the year with the goal of I'm going to get a job teaching art because you know I got this one. Um, It was kind of a hard sell because the administrator who I interviewed with, he's like, well, you've been teaching math for five years. Why do you want to teach art? Can you do art? Can you manage a classroom? Uh-huh. So, just from that experience, I said, OK, let me get my portfolio together and dig up this art that I've been doing. Yeah. I also stopped doing art for like five years because uh-huh. I got so absorbed into being the best math teacher ever. And so when I had my interview at the current school I'm at, the principal that interviewed me was actually my seventh grade English teacher. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a conversation with an old friend. It's like, hey, how have you been? You're an adult now. This is bizarre. Like, what have you been doing for the past 20 years? Yeah. And I'm convinced that that's what got me that position because, um, I mean, I did a sample lesson. The teacher who was moving, she moved to Florida. She observed my sample lessons. She thought I did a really good job. And after I got the job, she's like, I'm so glad. I just felt like your personality was a perfect fit for this job. Mm. And so, you know, with the previous connection with my (laughs) future supervisor... I also think that I had been teaching the wrong age group for a very long time because I'm kind of a flat, even, deadpan, sarcastic (laughs) teacher. And a lot of the feedback I would get from my administrators would be like, you know, you just you need more energy and I'm like this is just who I am and you know when you fake it the kids can tell Yeah. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it was just a breath of fresh air because that was the second kind of sample lesson that I'd done with high school kids and both people mm-hmm. I was like wow they really you know they were really into what you were saying I was like really you didn't think I needed uh, more energy what I didn't need to bounce off the wall and wear a costume <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing uh, <laughs> so yeah
0: Yeah, yeah, and so would you say high school is kind of your favorite age level? It's the one that resonates most? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. It's like night and day. And it's one of those things, it's like you didn't know you were wearing the wrong bra size until you get fitted for the right (laughs) one and it completely changes your life. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of my stress originated that I would have to like flip this switch and become somebody who I really wasn't mm -hmm. to keep and not to negate people, who have that ability I just don't yeah uh, even like going back and you have to be true. yeah to yeah. you know when I was bartending it was really hard if I was having a bad day to like smile at people <laughs> and, tell, mm-hmm. and act <laughs> like I was interested in whatever you know story they had to tell I've just never had that gift. And so to be in an environment where you're working with the age of kids where they understand that you're a person, they kind of want to know more about the type of person that you are and you're not necessarily a persona anymore was a breath of fresh air for me, for sure.
0: Oh, that's great. And now, so you're teaching drawing and fashion illustration and design. Yes. Yeah. It's exciting. Can you talk more about that and sort of what what your style is with teaching those things yeah I teach
1: drawing and this might be true for lots of high school programs but we have the Mm -hmm. ours is called VA comprehensive visual arts comprehensive which is a really convoluted way of saying intro to art (laughs) or art one and I teach those classes too I love teaching that class because it's like we get to do all the things we do painting and we do sculpture and we do art history and we get to do lots of things that might be categorized as folk art but it's okay Mm-hmm. And then after that, any 2D pathway they have to take drawing. So I teach virtually all the kids mm-hmm. who want to do art as a pathway, and then I get a few others. And that class is a lot of fun too, because at my core, I would say that I'm a draftsman. I love to draw. I've always draw. I love rendering, mm-hmm. kind of figurative work. And so that class is a lot of fun. And it's weird because nobody else wants to teach it. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of got that as your gift, like, here you go, have fun with this curriculum. And <laughs>
0: and you're like, yes,
1: I will. <laughs> I absolutely will. I love all the pencils and the charcoals and the pastels. Give them all to me. Yeah. But I also kind of take a interdisciplinary approach with that class as well. I'm not as rigid as a lot mm-hmm. of teachers are when it comes to teaching drawing. I mean, I teach the basics. I spend a lot of time introducing them to you know, just draw media in general. But from that point, like if a kid wants to paint, I'm like, okay, here are the paints, clean up behind yourself, or you're not going to paint. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, in my magical art closet I have interesting things like enamels and you know liquid watercolors and dyes so as long as the Mm -hmm. inception of what they create as a drawing I'm pretty much fine with it usually if I say no it's because I don't want to clean up a mess that a kid doesn't know how to clean up (laughs) right so yeah that class is a lot of fun and then the fashion design course is just a year old it's another class that kind of get free reign to do whatever it is I want to do hopefully that's so nice no one who doesn't agree with that is listening to this but uh <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) It was kind of like an option to give kids another elective to take if they were interested in art, but they didn't necessarily want to do the whole AP thing. Mm -hmm. Because after you take drawing, when you get into drawing and painting, that's sort of what it's pushing them to do, unless they were to do the 3D track and take ceramics and sculpture and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so we actually, it was at the end of last school year, second semester, we surveyed all the kids. We gave them the option of fashion design, textiles. Printmaking. So textiles, it's like, well, what is that? Okay, like, okay, we're not going to do textiles. Oh. <laughs> because we're like you know they not that we would remove that from them but if they don't know what it is the likelihood of them signing up for that class is pretty low yeah you need to like
0: rename it or something yeah that's what I thought but yeah or like offer it under the name of fashion design like include some weaving and some other sort of textile embroidery all that stuff that's kind of huge in the art world right now yeah see we're thinking the same way
1: (laughs) yeah and um making some of the kids knew what it was but not quite mm-hmm. and so there were kids asking questions about it but they didn't necessarily like check that box off fashion design overwhelmingly won oh yeah as the top choice for another class they could take and so that's exactly what ended up happening I'm like Fibers are something that kids need to know. Yeah. Textiles is very important even in the canon of like art history. Right. Yeah. Textiles are important. So that class is kind of like a hybrid of all of those things, you know, fashion influence. Yeah. And then printing can go into that too. Yeah. We do a whole unit on surface pattern design. Yeah. They do it by hands carve their block, they print their fabric by hand, and then they can, whatever they can make with two yards of fabric they can make, which usually ends up being like a pillow or a bag. But they have other options just to go to Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because sewing is a new skill. And so they learn how to sew. They learn different um, stitching techniques, embroidery techniques how to make a closure, how to, you know, sew a button to a garment, mm-hmm. all of those things. So that's exactly what have, that and yeah. That's also a really fun class that I love to teach.
0: Yeah, that's great. Awesome. And how are you handling teaching all of that now? I know it hasn't been a super long time, but we've, at least here, we've got like, I don't even know, I've lost track of time, <laughs> like a few weeks, almost a month under our belts of trying to teach online. How are you managing that? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been a shift because just
1: as a teacher I'm super analog mm-hmm. I hate to to say that but I think that it's really important to engage students in a way That doesn't, the tool that I'm giving them to instruct them also doesn't provide everything that could possibly distract them from what I want them to do. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, I've done things where I integrated technology and I used to have a flipped classroom and all that, but I felt like I lost a lot of just one on one engagements to the students because I'm forcing them to engage with this device, which inherently at some point, unless they're really well disciplined, is going to distract them, especially mm-hmm. with high schoolers, because their phones are like always with them. It's like right. an organ that they will die yeah. without. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just created a classroom environment that, you know, technology is a resource that you can use for research purposes, but not mm-hmm. necessarily to generate your ideas, especially with social media. Like it's so easy to tell when a kid's just Google whatever it is we're doing because everybody's image looks the same. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, at least go to search page number five. Don't (laughs) (laughs) like choose the second image on the first page. Right. Um, So yeah, it's been a big shift because I didn't necessarily have a lot of digital resources like at my fingertips, Mm -hmm. but it was pretty easy to take like my Google docs and things that I would print out. Or sometimes the kids would fill out if we were researching a movement or an artist or whatever they'd fill it out on google classroom because it's easier than printing out 130 something pages which is how many kids i teach a day
0: right
1: yeah it was easy to translate the things that i would give them in physical form to those platforms the harder part was like adjusting for the amount of things that i had in that classroom that they just did not have at home Right. Because we literally found out on Thursday that Friday will be the last day we were at school. Ugh. And I gave as much as I could to as many students as I could, but I just did not have the inventory to give them all like a mm-hmm. kit of things that they could use. So most of my projects can literally be done with paper and pencil. And if you have scissors and glue and markers and paint, then you can add all of these things to it. Right, But yeah, a lot of it's been kind of research based and a lot of it too, I give them a option you can do this research project and find these artworks and analyze them or you can if you have the supplies you can do this project at home so it's kind of been an mm-hmm. experience but we'll make it we're 3 weeks yeah. in and we have about 6 weeks left yeah. to go of the school year uh,
0: yeah that's i think that's the trickiest thing across the board for art teachers cuz you know supplies and tools that's that's the bulk of what we do is like teaching How to use these things. Yeah. And if kids don't, don't have those things, then you've got to just revamp your entire. Curricula and like, kind of figure out. Okay, so how can I teach this without any supplies, without any tools?
1: Yeah, which the reality yeah. is, on the hierarchy of contents with the most priority, usually art falls at the very bottom. And so, yeah, it's always a fight to like get supplies to begin with, right? And I know just this year for three art teachers and at least twelve classes a semester our budget got cut from $8,000 to $2,000. And so we were doing things like getting paper towels out of the bathroom (laughs) (laughs) because we couldn't afford to order them. Right, Just things like that are a struggle enough already. Mm -hmm. And so mentally I was halfway prepared to, you know, stretch a pencil into a masterpiece. Yeah. (laughs) But it was just such an immediate shift that I wasn't quite ready to do that Mm -hmm.
0: as quickly as I had to so but it's gone right well as it can it's yeah yeah such a challenge I know I do a ton of cardboard sculpture anyway just because of budgets so that's been one that's like one of my go-tos it's like you probably have cardboard yeah (laughs) and if you don't I know you
1: get it yeah
0: (laughs) Oh, are there any resources that have been really helpful to you in this shift? Again, I'm analog. This is just the way my brain yeah, is. So a like you mentioned, that. Google Classroom was one, but I don't know if there's anything else.
1: Yeah, Google Classroom is really good. In the past, I've done Seesaw. Uh-huh. Seesaw works well for some things. It's a really good way for students to kind of catalog their work and look at other students' work and dialogue it. For high school, it's just not as good for like academic type things where I want to mm-hmm. see if they were listening to me or not um, <laughs> because <laughs> as soon as someone turns something in, everyone else can see it and see my feedback We're like, "Oh, I'll just copy what they said uh, and change the around yeah, but it's excellent, like if a student wanted to make a video of how they did an embroidery project or something like that, Seesaw is a great platform for that. Mm-hmm. Another product that I've discovered fairly recently is Adobe Spark, which is free. Yeah. It's a web-based program. And my school has a subscription, so... The subscription just gives you wider access to some of the um, royalty-free mm. images that it pulls up that students can kind of insert into their work instead of having to do their own search, which is kind of nice. And it also removes the watermark. But mm. anybody can use Adobe Spark if you're okay with the watermark at the bottom. But that's a great way for students to just create a portfolio. Ooh, yeah. And they can share links. Like in my classroom, everyone kind of made this ever web page where they could continually add more images and it could be a their work it can be um, a digital notebook we use it mostly in fashion design but everyone had access to everyone else's web page so if there was a really good one i could just insert it into their assignment for the day or put like a tiny girl l on the board like hey look at jocelyn's digital portfolio this is really amazing this is what i'm looking for so that's been a good resource that i've learned about like within the past 18 months or so it's been really useful in my classroom yeah
0: that's a Great one. I would love to talk more about your own artwork. Could you describe your work? Oh, I know that's a hard one. <laughs> It's so
3: hard. Yeah. So I'm a printmaker. Yes. I would say even when I'm making a drawing or a sketch, I'm always thinking as how I can translate it into a unique duplicate. And so that's where a lot of my kind of aesthetics lie and screen printing and I used to do a lot of lithography but unfortunately that is something that is not easy to come by. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're in an academic college setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah the the stones stones. especially. Yeah and there are other methods you can utilize but chemicals like unless you want to buy chemicals in bulk which are really expensive Uh, you don't want to house them in your house probably especially if you have kids. Yeah. It's just you know I'll say it's a privileged art Mm -hmm. form because if you're not in academia or you have a press that you can access because even a lot of community studios don't have litho presses this is something that's hard to come by yeah and i used to do polyester plate lithography Uh which you can draw directly onto the plate or you can print high resolution copy onto the plate Mm -hmm. but the past couple of years i've had issues with that process and someone who worked at fedex kinkos told me that the actual formula for the ink they put in laser copiers is not the same as it used to be oh so that's changed it yeah I think that's changed it it just doesn't hold up as well as it did like when I learned how to do it in college so yeah mostly now I do a lot of screen printing Mm -hmm. and I do over the past couple or three years I've done a lot of relief printing a combination of methods and so I guess I would say I have two distinct ways of working. I either do drawings or I do really graphic, high contrast print work. Mm-hmm. And with both of those, I do a lot of layering of techniques. So rarely is my print just a print. I've always wanted to be like a printmaker's printmaker where I make these beautiful additions that are all exactly the same. but. I just don't have the uh, I don't know. I just don't have the patience to kind of do the setup on the front end. I know that sounds really bad to do that. Like I'm capable of doing yeah. it. And very recently I actually printed the first editions that I've printed since I was an undergrad. So I know it's in there, but it's. When I'm making things, I'm like, oh, my God, the possibilities of what I could do with this print. And after I've done, like, four, all right, I'm going to switch to color. I'm going to switch to composition. Or I'm going to layer this thing on top of this other thing. Right. So, yeah, that's what the bulk of it is. Mm -hmm. A lot of printmaking that's embellished with either painting or hand drawing Mm -hmm. with ink or graphite. And a lot of the drawings that I do, I kind of pour them to put them away to translate them into prints later. So
0: yeah, oh, I love that. I I also studied printmaking in school and sort of work the same way. Like I don't, I'm a sloppy printmaker. I don't edition. I collage and draw on top and paint on top. And yeah, so I feel you there.
3: <laughs> yeah, and it's weird because some of the best work that I get a lot of feedback or the stuff that gets accepted into shows is like this print that I made five years ago that I messed up. I'm like, but I'm going to keep that because I really like that blue. Uh And then I like cut it up or I print something on top of it or I draw on top of it. So I have a saying that no artistic effort should go wasted. Mm -hmm. So I'd never throw away paper. I never beat myself up when I spend a bunch of time doing something and it doesn't come out the way I want it to, which as a printmaker, I'm learning even from like master printers, that's half of the process is something going wrong just because that's of funny. the chemistry that's involved with a lot of print processes. Yeah, um, it's just something that happens. So, yeah, I never get rid of anything because all of that stuff can be valuable later on you just never know until it happens
0: yeah and you kind of it sounds like you also kind of trust your gut like if you see something in there that you like you're like I need to save that and do something with it
3: oh yeah for sure I mean even the images I use I do mostly representational Mm -hmm. work and so I'll have a portrait and I'll translate that portrait five different times over the course of two or three Mm -hmm. years you know it's just, I think that if something is still nagging at you, if you still feel like it's a good idea, just keep working with it until it comes out the way
0: you want, mm-hmm. or it might come out a way you never expected, but that's what you were looking for. That is such great advice. I love that. And when you're doing portraits, are you working from photos or from life? I work from photos yes. and that's actually been a goal of mine
3: is like, I would really like to, you know, have someone sit in front of me and draw from light. <laughs> because that's just something again I think it's like a patience thing that I've never been able to do well and I dabbled a lot in photography and so I enjoy taking pictures of subjects I also kind of like the kind of image that you get when this is supposed to be candid but it also looks very contrived at the same time and being able to capture that in a drawing mm-hmm. but it is something that I've been practicing with all of my new free time I've been doing lots of observational drawings of like plants or yeah. my kids sitting on the sofa. But mostly uh. I draw often photographs because that allows me to kind of put something away
2: mm-hmm.
3: and pick it up later. Yeah. And still be able to capture whatever moment or emotion I intended to capture. Instead of it becoming, you know, drawing what I want to see Mm -hmm. and not what I'm actually seeing, the photo kind of forces you to draw exactly what
0: it is that you see. Yeah, and that point about being able to like put it down when you need to and come back to it makes me think of, you know, just how you're fitting it all in, how you're managing time with teaching and parenting and making art. How do you, what's your kind of schedule like? So I wish I had a schedule, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Or when do you fit in studio time? Yeah,
3: I do. I keep a calendar pretty meticulously Mm -hmm. and I write it down because, you know, when I put things on my phone, they kind of get lost. Mm -hmm. And when I get the alert, it's usually too late to prepare for it versus if I'm constantly writing things down. Every time I open up that book, it's a reminder of everything Mm -hmm. that's surrounding that event that I need to do. And so a lot of times it's I put stuff away and I always have it with me. So that if there's a moment that comes up that I can work on something, I have everything that I need. Like I carry around, I think it's a, it's like a 16 by 18 inch hard cover portfolio
2: mm-hmm. that
3: probably has like eight to 10 in process drawings in it at all times. So wow. I take that to work with me. You know, I'll sit at the table with my students and draw how they're doing their assignments. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cause we have 90 minute classes. One of yeah. my classes, two hours long. So it's a little bit longer. Wow. Yeah. So if I am not doing direct instruction, that's a huge block. Like if I talked Mm -hmm. for longer than 15 minutes, they're going to completely tune me out. Right. So (laughs) Most of the class period is actually spent with them working. And so I literally like get them started, make sure everybody has what they need. I'll sit down next to them and draw. And then I'll get up like every 15 to 20 minutes just to make sure everybody has what they need. And it's kind of a cycle that repeats. Mm-hmm. I'll do that a lot, especially if it's something that I'm not worried about it getting messed up. Like if someone spills their coffee all over the working table,
2: <laughs> you know, it's not a big right. deal.
3: If I have a deadline I'm working towards, I do spend a lot of time working at night. Mm-hmm. I work out of the community studio, which I'm sure like most studios is closed right now. So I'm missing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but a lot of times if I know I need studio time, I'll have prepped dinner the night before. I get everything ready. I'm like, okay, I'm going to the studio. And my husband's pretty supportive. He's like, okay.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, that's great. I've got it. Yeah. So I can spend, you know, as much time as I need. I've had times where I've worked into the night because I had mm-hmm. a deadline coming up and just life. And my brain, the way I work, it's like, all right, I got to get this done. And the pressure isn't on me until it's like three days till the deadline. Um, Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's getting in the time whenever you can get it in because otherwise it'll never happen.
0: Right. Yeah. And that community space where you work, that's like a printmaking shop? Yeah. It's Atlanta Printmaker Studio. Okay.
3: It's been around for at least 10 years, more than that. Because when I was an undergrad, the printmaking professor, he said, well, you know, you're going to lose all this equipment, and mm-hmm. I want you guys to continue your practice. So Atlanta Printmaker Studio has all of the equipment and the facility that you need to continue your printmaking practice. Ugh. And so, and it's right around the corner from my house. It's like a 9 minute uh, drive,
0: which is That's um, awesome.
3: <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they have equipment for screen printing, for etching. They have workshops and classes that you can take. I'm a key holder, so I have 24-hour access to Uh, the studio whenever I need it. That's awesome. Nice. Which is like a complete game changer and a gift. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that that place has a very special... Spot in my heart for sure because without yeah. them I wouldn't be able to do half of the things that I'm able to do.
0: Yeah, because that's a huge barrier for printmaking not having the equipment, the materials that you need. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and could you talk more about sort of the content of your work and what you're you're thinking about with your work? Ooh, that's another hard. One. I know it's a hard <laughs> one. <I didn't> <laughs> Well, for one
3: thing, for sure, it's narrative. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it includes people. And I would say that I'm inspired a lot by story and Mm whimsy. I'm a romantic. I believe in Uh. happy endings and that the good (laughs) will balance out the bad. And so depending on where my mind is, a lot of the time, that's the story that I'm trying to tell. I've done Mm -hmm. different bodies of work, kind of depicting different narrative timelines. But I like to keep the story open because I want the viewer to know that this is trying to tell me something, but I can also kind of apply my own experiences to this. Mm -hmm. And so I always enjoy when I tell people what my work is about. They say, oh, I see that this is what I saw. But I can see that, too, because that means that I've achieved my goal. Yeah, The work that I've been working on most recently talks a lot about distraction mm-hmm. and how the more quoted society becomes, we're more and more distracted by things that don't really have anything to do with our society. Mm-hmm. We're more captive observers of everything that's happening and we're participating less and less Unless we're participating so that we can capture that we're participating. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I use birds as a device a lot in that body of work mm-hmm. to kind of represent this presence, that we send out into the world, almost like a carrier pigeon to send a mm-hmm. message to the world of who we are and what we do and why we do it. And that story can be true or it can be false. It all depends on what you train that bird to do. Mm-hmm. Within that body of work, I also use figures again. I use my kids and I use hand strings as a device mm-hmm. to represent how we're engaging in the same thing, but we're disengaged with each other at the same time. And the characters in these scenes are kind of engaged in creating these hand strings. And they're very close to each other. And it looks like they should be interacting, but they come just short of doing that. Yeah. And so that just comes from when I was a kid, the first thing that I did was ate breakfast and got in the car with my parents and talked to them, where it's now the first thing you do when you wake up is you look at your phone. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes. And so we're engaged in the same activity and something like string is kind of a it With the sense of nostalgia and domesticity, mm-hmm. but you know the devices in our lives are becoming very domestic because everyone has one. It's the norm. You know, you don't go outside and see kids playing anymore because they're inside, yeah, just engaging with each other. Oh. <laughs> and so that was kind of the story that I was telling with that work.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm looking at there's one that you have called bestowed. Yeah, that I feel like just says. That exactly, you know, it's got the hands with the string, but these two children are just kind of looking off into space into the distance, possibly looking at a screen, (laughs) you kind of start to tell tell a story about what they're thinking about what they're looking at. Yeah, why they're not engaged with these these hands and string that are right in front of them. Yeah so interesting yeah and that piece in particular it kind of is discussing the influence that's bestowed upon us without
3: our knowledge Mm -hmm. so things become normal because they're all around us and we don't really give any critical thought to Mm -hmm. it or the effect that it has upon us we just kind of do it because everyone else is doing it right (laughs) because it's the norm yeah so yeah that's exactly that makes me feel good because
0: that's exactly the message I was just
3: sending with that image it's working
0: (laughs) that's awesome yeah these are just beautiful Beautiful prints. Anybody listening, you need to go look at... Her website. Oh, thank you. And I will link to all of your, I will link to everything. How do you, I know that you, so you work with Atlanta Printmaker Studio. And did you do a residency with them as well in the past? Am I right thinking that?
3: Yeah, I did. So I think I told you I didn't make art for five years. Yeah. And I decided, you know, I'm going to just go into this full on, do whatever it is I need to do, start Mm -hmm. getting back into making art and developing my practice and even find out what my practice is at this point. Right. And so one of the first things I did was reconnect with Atlanta Printmaker Studio. And prior to the residency, I did an internship oh. because you know, you don't do something for a long time. It's not like riding a bike. You forget things. Mm-hmm. And so I did the internship just to get back to feeling what it's like being in a studio every day or seeing what people, what other people are doing in the studio. And so through that, I had to do a studio orientation. Mm-hmm. I became a member of the studio. And then I did the internship. And then after the internship, I applied for the residency and I got rejected. I think I was like oh. the, um, like when I said I was going full head first like i didn't make art for five years i'm gonna do a residency yeah <laughs> but I actually was the second alternate. So, you know, every rejection that I get, I'm like, OK, what can I take from this rejection? Because if I really want this, I'm going to go do it again or I'm going to apply this mm-hmm. other opportunity. And it's a learning experience so that you can, you know, just get better the next time you want to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And it said that it was the strength of my portfolio, which made sense because I just had all these random things that I did. Like I started taking classes with Atlanta Printmaker Studio, I think it's I've taken like six workshops with them. Mm-hmm. And it was just all these random things. They weren't really cohesive. And so, so I just sat back and I really just started delving into my portfolio. And so the second time around, that the residency opportunity came around, I thought and I got it. So awesome. Yeah. And that was really formative to my studio practice because that was the first time that I had that 24 hour access. Mm -hmm. Because other than that, I had to plan my day to be out of there by four o'clock. So if I was in the middle of something, I would have to stop. Clean up and then wait for the next open studio. Right. So that convinced me like, okay, I need a regular studio that I can access all the time Mm -hmm. so that I can work when I need to work, when I can work. And so that's what led to me getting that 24 hour access and becoming a renter there.
0: That's huge. Yeah. That makes such a difference. And I love that story of rejection. Like it's, it's helpful. I think for artists to hear that like everybody goes through rejection and you just have to keep applying, take whatever advice you get through that or whatever you learn through that and then apply again.
3: Yeah. And I've worked on the other end of things. Like I've done some curation projects Mm -hmm. with my local community and there's so many reasons that go into rejection. Like sometimes, yeah, your work just isn't good enough. And I think you have to be cognizant that I've got some more work to do mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like everyone at some point had to do the work to get to where they are. Right. But there's also things, especially when it comes to shows and exhibitions, like how much space there is. If you have like this 11 foot painting, on the, wall, <laughs> the biggest wall right. we have is 12 feet, you know, that takes opportunities from other artists or the way that work communicates with the other work that's going to be in an exhibition. Like there's so many things Mm -hmm. that go or just the sheer number of people applying, like everybody can't get in. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that go into why people get rejected that everybody's going to get rejected at some point. It's not always a bad thing.
0: Right. And how do you seek out other opportunities? You've had a bunch of shows since you really like dove headfirst back into it. How do you seek your opportunities?
3: The other benefit of being in a community studio is you get to interact with other people. And so I've gotten to meet people and they see that I'm working on something. Mm -hmm. And so they might shoot me an email like, hey, there's a show coming up. Would you like to participate? I've gotten invited to lots of shows that way. Mm -hmm. I also think that just being in shows puts your work out there and people get to see it. Right. Because I've had invitations to shows where I responded to an open call that I got through being on a mailing list that's another way sign up for all the mailing lists for places that you like to show your work in Yeah. and later on they had a curated show and they'll send me an email like hey you participated in whatever show in whatever year we're doing this show for women artists so we're doing this show for printmakers would you like to participate mm-hmm. so just getting out into the community and interacting with other artists and you know taking those smaller opportunities eventually will lead to bigger opportunities is something I've definitely found and then I do the open calls too I have to be very careful with the overcalls calls, though, because those submission fees will add up very quickly. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <Yep>.
3: <laughs> and so usually I limit it to, is this a space that I would really like to get my work in? Mm-hmm. Or is this outside of where... I usually get to show work like if it's something that's out of state or out of the country and then okay how much is it going to cost for me to ship my work if I get in am I going to have to send them return shipping labels like does it have to be framed Mm -hmm. like all those things kind of go into my calculation to figure out for the submissions like is this worth it or is it
0: not right And and do you set like a budget for it or is it just kind of deciding you know is it is it worth this and do I have enough to to go into it, I usually go based on, is it worth mm-hmm. it?
3: That's one of the good things about having a job is I don't have to play the numbers to figure out, does it fit into a budget? Mm-hmm. I would probably be really afraid of the number that I
2: saw <laughs> if I calculated it. <laughs>
3: So yeah, it's usually like, is it worth it? Is it outside of something that I usually do? Mm-hmm. Is this an opportunity that again, all those
0: things kind of go into account. Right. Yeah. That's been a challenge for me too. I see so many open calls and I'm kind of like, I want to apply to them all, but right. it's so tricky to budget for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that idea though of thinking about whether it's something you normally would, would do if it's like outside of your community, outside of the types of places you show. The location that you show. Yeah. And do you sell your work as well? I mean, when you're showing it, you probably are have it for sale. How have you sort of managed that?
3: Yeah, I've I've had pretty good success Mm -hmm. selling it, except for as of late. The past year, I haven't sold as much work. Usually if I have an exhibition or something like that, I've never not Mm -hmm. sold work. The past year is when I started showing work, I guess, in kind of, how do I say, kind of higher price venues, I suppose. Uh-huh. And I haven't had as much success. And I think part of that goes with a lot of the places. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having your work in these places. I actually want it to. But in order to make it profitable for you to sell your work, you have to market the price so much higher. Mm-hmm. Because if you have to get it framed and then the spaces you're showing it in is going to take, you know, 40 to 50% of your work, right. then I'm forced to make it less accessible mm-hmm. to people. And part of printmaking is if I have a duplicate, I can usually afford to give it away for a price that is less than if it was a one of a kind painting that I could never reproduce again. Right. It's going to be in just one person's home. But yeah, when you kind of transition to different types of spaces, the kind of profit margin shifts. Mm-hmm. And so that adjusts, you know, the amount of money that I'm able to make off my work and the amount that I have to sell it for to make money off of it to begin with. Right.
0: Yeah. And framing is huge. That's a, a really big cost for printmaking. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I've started mounting some of my paperwork, just like mounting it on panel. Cause that's so much more affordable, but it is a different look. And then it's, you know, it's just a different way of of presenting it.
3: Yeah, I know recently I've kind of shifted to... Framing things without glass, which freaks the framers out. What do you mean? You don't want? You know people can touch it. You know that. (laughs) I'm like, I know, but I've had work that was in an exhibition, and then I had to ship it somewhere else. And when I ship it, the instructions say it it has to be in plexiglass. Yeah. So I'm essentially paying for this thing to get framed twice. Yeah. And also, if you ship the weight of the glass or the plexiglass, like doubles or sometimes triples the weight of your package yeah so that's kind of a trick that's that's a good (laughs) one for anyone listening out there framing is really expensive if you can I think that's why painters are really lucky because you can put something in canvas and you can mount it or you can stretch it or you can frame it with wood. It isn't as expensive. Yeah. But yeah, framing things about glass is great. And for photo taking purposes, that glare isn't there. So it looks great. Right. Uh, very tactile. You know, the viewer can see the texture and the layers that are involved
0: in your work. Ah, uh, very good tip. I like that. Do you have any other tips for artists who might want to get into teaching?
3: I would say if you actually want to teach like I think it takes a very special person to Mm -hmm. teach yeah (laughs) I think that's why one in three teachers don't make it what is it past their third or fifth year of teaching yeah it's because you have to have a very special personality so if you fit that criteria and you can manage a classroom because I think that's another thing that people don't take into account is if you're teaching art you're like oh the kids are going to love me and they're going to love art they are regular kids. Uh-huh. Half of them don't want to be in your classroom. Like before they even get right. there, I always ask the kids day one. I'm like, okay, who doesn't want to be in a class? I'm like half their hands oh. go up. So, um, so yeah, that reality needs to be there. They're regular students. They aren't going to be, you know, coming in on the rainbow, happy to see you right. every day. Not at first. You have to create that kind of environment, mm-hmm. and it gets better. But those are things that need to be taken into account because teaching is not easy, and especially if it's not a good fit for the type of person that you are. If you are, though, I would say that teaching is one of the most secure jobs mm-hmm. you get if you want to be an artist, because I can't think of a single job that pays you for the amount of time off that teachers get. Mm-hmm. Now, teachers earn it for sure. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> we earn Every minute of that time off. But, I mean, you don't go to work and stay super late. I know our schedule, we never go more than five or six weeks without some kind of break. And so if you're the type of person who wants to do the residencies or you want to you know, dedicate a period to work in your studio, mm-hmm. you can plan a schedule if you're disciplined enough to do that. I know I'm not. I say I'm going to do all these things over Christmas breaks and I'll do like half of <laughs> one thing but <laughs> lots of people are organized enough where that's a perfect schedule to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something to look into. I, I don't think the teachers get enough credit. It seems like in society it's a career that's kind of looked down upon, like we're glorified babysitters. Yeah. But it really is. A, maybe that will change. change. Maybe. Now that everyone is homeschooling their kids, maybe that will change. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when you think about it, a teacher usually spends more waking hours with A child than their parents does Mm -hmm. on a regular weekday, and so the amount of work goes into those hours and keeping them engaged. And I know for me, I am the teacher who knows everybody's business, Uh (laughs) just (laughs) all of those things you know that's important and it's also yeah. like fulfilling jobs to have to fill that role to be the person that does that mm-hmm. so I would definitely say anybody who is interested in teaching like research what goes into teaching research you know classroom management research building a curriculum and writing lesson plans and see mm-hmm. are those the kind of things I can handle or that I want to be doing and if it is then definitely is something worth pursuing yeah
0: uh, and are there any books or other like resources you would recommend for that research one book I've read a lot of books that
3: were bad yeah (laughs) there is one book I can't think of the author but it's called the first six weeks of school Mm -hmm. and it's so true the tone you set the first six weeks of school is going to define the rest of your school year or your semester or whatever system you're broken down into. I've never had a classroom that went wrong and I didn't know it was going to go wrong in the first six weeks of school. And this talks about things like how to set up your classroom the way you want it to be so that if it flows for you, it's going to flow for your students or how you interact with students to kind of create that relationship that you want to have. You don't want students being afraid of you, but you also don't want them to be too comfortable with you very early on. So that is one book that I've read that I was like, that's a keeper. The rest of these, I'm not sure about <laughs> But that one is a very good one. Awesome.
0: Well, I will find that and link it in our show notes. And that's, I totally agree about that, like setting up the school year, setting up the very beginning and even before school starts, especially with elementary, but I'm sure it applies across all grade levels, just setting up your space. Oh yeah. To, to be like accessible to the students and to kind of be like ready for them to come in and feel comfortable, feel engaged, feel like 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 they know where they need to find things and like excited about going in and making art. And I guess now that might be like that setting up your space might be setting up your Google Classroom. (laughs) But
3: what does that look like? Yeah. And I know a lot of teachers too, you know, if something's not working, change the desk take yep. all the supplies out of, I know that's one thing I had to learn when I started teaching artists, like all these supplies are in the closet, but why? Like, why uh-huh. do I have to go to the closet every time someone asks me for something? Uh-huh. So, you know, being flexible, that's part of being a teacher too, because you might get the yeah. mandate all the way from the top of like, stop everything you're doing and do this thing. And it's like, oh, now I've got to do yes. this. <laughs> <laughs> so never be afraid to do something if it's not working. Like kids will mm-hmm. adapt they'll be fine. But if you're not comfortable, then they can't be comfortable.
0: Yeah. And that kind of constantly adjusting like on the fly is something you've got to be comfortable with. Yeah. I mean, so many times I'll, I'll spend all this time writing out the perfect lesson. And then I do it with my first class. And some of the things just don't hit. And I'm like, Oh, okay, I've got to change how I said that or how I showed them that or maybe I need to break the steps down more. Something isn't working. So the next class comes in and I'm like, okay, let's try it this way. Is this working?
2: <laughs> you know? Yeah,
0: that's why the kids who finish early are a gift because
3: I will just keep going. I'm like, okay, here's your next assignment. And if it doesn't work, i am like, okay, you're not going to do that. And then I'll tell the class, and I think they appreciate that too. I'm like, yeah, I had Susan try this project. It didn't work, so we're not doing that. <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes you have to just stop a lesson and throw it out. You yeah, know, There's no point getting them frustrated or getting a product that is not the way it should look. Like, just stop,
0: scrap it, start over. Right. They'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> And they'll, they'll, I feel like it's even more than forgive you. They'll like, like it, like you more for it, you know? Yeah. Oh, so nice. Do you have any sort of goals for this year with either teaching or art making? Oh, this year, first goal is to get out of the house. <laughs> yes. Um,
3: <laughs> that's everyone's goal for 2020.
0: Yeah. Stay healthy yes. and get out of the house. Yes. And are you in a neighborhood where you can kind of take walks and stuff? Yeah, we can take walk. The state parks
3: are still open, so you can still like take hikes and things like that. Okay. But yeah, all of the I live in a small kind of urban town, so there's lots of coffee shops and restaurants and growler shops, and it's so sad because it's just like desolate. Uh, Everything's closed. Yeah. But the neighbors know each other, so like I'll be washing dishes and I'll run outside and we're like,
2: "Hi, Tanya!" Oh, <laughs> nice. Like. <laughs> As a person, <laughs> uh,
3: but yeah, goals I've had is just to really slow down. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've done a lot in the past two years, and a lot of it has been like working towards some deadline or some specific goal. And now that I have absolutely nothing to do mm-hmm. <laughs> because everything is canceled, this is a great opportunity to just work on things that I just want to practice. Like I really want to practice rendering figures really, really well. And that's mm-hmm. something that I've had a goal to do for a very long time. But because I always had some projects or opportunity that was looming on the horizon that I had to work towards like now I can just sit back and do it and not have to worry like oh I don't have time to work on this sketch or whatever because I have to do this other thing like all of that's gone Uh, so that's been a goal I've had for a long time but now I can actually
0: do it and that feels really good that's a great time for that and a great sort of mindset to kind of get through this yeah because everybody needs hobbies right now (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah Just some kind of get to know you questions. What are you curious about right now? What am I curious about? I'm really curious about rug making. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? There's like a tufting machine that keeps popping up as like an ad on my social media, but I've seen other artists using this tufting machine where you can almost draw with it on like a big cloth.
3: No, I haven't seen that. I did hear, I listening to another podcast, the I Like Your Work podcast. Yeah. And I cannot think of the
0: artist's name. I wish I could but Mm. was it it's like Mikaelin I'm gonna butcher it I'll have to look her up later and say it properly (laughs) I feel like it's Mikaelina I think she uses that yeah she was
3: talking about it and that stuck with me because the subject matter of like people using personal devices and being distracted was the same but her work is so different because it's literally like tufted runs it's like this is insane and amazing
0: so cool her name is Michaelin Michalik. Yes. I think I'm saying that right. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, I'm
3: afraid to look it up because I don't want you to like capture my clicking on the computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested in like traditional cultural arts and rug making is one that I've always been really interested in. Different tufting and weaving techniques I'm also interested in because I don't know, it's kind of mind boggling. How did all of these people who didn't have contact with each other on different continents arrive at the same solution for dealing with textiles? Oh yeah. Um, that's a whole different conversation, but <laughs> uh-huh. I'm really interested in like how rugs are made by hand and I've been watching videos and I'm kind of obsessed
0: with it. Oh, awesome. I love that. Okay. Another kind of fun one. What are you not so good at? I'm super impressed. That you taught math because that's my weakness. Oh, really? Yeah, it's so tricky for me. And my mom's a math teacher, but it's something that I struggled with so much.
2: Yeah,
3: Ollie, I struggled with it too. I didn't pass a math t- class until high school. But wow, I think my brain just wasn't ready for it yet. Uh huh. <laughs> what am I not? I'm not good at keeping my house clean. <laughs> I swear, yeah. it's like I clean, especially now that I'm at home, I swear if I got paid for washing the dishes, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> I really admire people who are super organized all the time and just have perfect houses all the time.
0: But does anybody really? I
3: can't <laughs> even fake like I do, though.
2: I don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't even shove everything
3: into the closet and make it look nice. Yeah. I think that's just part of my brain process. I don't have an organized brain. and So just that's how it manifests mm-hmm. itself in real life. Yeah. Everything is in layers like your work. Yeah. And plus, when you do a lot of things, something has to give. And right. I just accept it. like, it's just not going to be perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not that important to have a super clean house. Yes. Yeah. And then sort of flip side of that, what is the best compliment you've ever gotten?
3: Someone, I can't remember who her, her name is. I'm going to shout her out. <laughs> Someone told me that my kids are the nicest kids they've ever
0: met. And I cannot remember oh. her name. Well, if, if it comes to you later, you can send it to me and I'll shout her yes. out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah someone told me that my kids are really nice which I think that's the highest compliment that you can get as a parent <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's so much work that goes into raising little people
2: to be an adult yes like oh
3: my god you noticed? yes they say thank you and please
0: and you're welcome <laughs>
2: well, yes
0: <laughs> oh and then what's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant tacos I didn't even have to think about that Tacos, yeah. You're like, I know that. Tacos, one. and if they have margaritas
3: that have house made sour mm. mix with lemons and limes and sour, Ooh. I mean,
0: uh, supple syrup, that is definitely a go to. Mm. No salt. Yum. Well, you've got to come out here to L.A. and have some of our tacos and margaritas. No, I know. I know. <laughs> one day when we can leave our houses. someday. Yes. <laughs> For now, it'll be virtual. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you would want to share? Yeah, I just really hope that all the
3: artists that are at home right now mm-hmm. and all the art educators who are at home right now, just don't give up and just keep making stuff. Yes, I know it can be really hard. And situations like this can be really anxiety inducing for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I hope that this will be a time that we can look back on and think that we didn't give up.
0: It was hard, but we held on. Yeah, absolutely. And that we're, you know, there's there's a purpose. We're doing this to help keep everybody safe and that we're still managing to connect. We're talking across the country here. I know this is the most I've talked about in like, I don't know how long. I <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's fantastic. It's great. Is there anybody that you would want to give a shout out to or a thank you? Yeah, for sure. It's going to be cliche, but my parents.
2: Yeah.
3: I'm
0: really thankful
3: that my parents exposed me to the things that they exposed me to growing up, you know, Mm -hmm. taking me to the symphony and taking me to museums, giving me all of those art supplies every time we went to the Mm -hmm. store. (laughs) Yeah. And also to my husband for just being an amazing and supportive part because a lot of the stuff that I do, I would not be able to do without him literally playing as great of a part in raising our kids as I do. Mm -hmm. So I'm eternally grateful to him for that because I wouldn't be able to, you know, make anything happen without him.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so, so true. It makes such a big difference. Yeah. And where can our listeners connect with you?
3: So I am on Instagram and I have a website and they're both the hapless printmaker. Awesome. Don't have a
0: Facebook or Twitter or all that
3: stuff, but. (laughs)
0: nice and i will link to those to instagram and your website thank you so much chloe for taking the time it was really nice to chat with you and hear more about your work and your teaching yeah thank you this has been a lot of fun chloe's drive and persistence really struck me she kept at it adjusted and reapplied when she got rejected and sought out resources and made career shifts to support her art practice That bit of encouragement she shared towards the end was also wonderful. Artists and art educators out there, keep making if it helps keep you sane and helps you process emotions. Take a break if that helps. We're nearing the end of the school year here, I teach until mid-June, and I know next fall is very uncertain, but hang in there. Chloe's work is also so beautiful and full of meaning. The idea of engaging in the same thing while being disengaged with each other. Ah, so apt. The imagery of the carrier pigeon sending a message out into the world really struck me as we all send our messages through the air right now. Go look at her work. And speaking of messages, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at gmail.com, tag me or DM me on Instagram at teachingartistpodcast, or send a voice message to that same email that I can share on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Podcast on Instagram, or teachingartistpodcast at gmail.com Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists And if you loved this episode please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you